Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Brent Holland. Welcome, one and all. Simon Wiesenthal. He, folks, was the world's leading Nazi hunter. Simon Wiesenthal had come out of Mauthausen concentration camp. He wanted justice done, not revenge. And that is the idealism that Simon Wiesenthal, his integrity, held firm. He did not want revenge. Indeed, folks, all he wanted was justice. That's a big difference. Tom Segev's written a great new book called The Life and Legends, Simon Wiesenthal. Now, Tom Segev, you all know, is one of the 21st century preeminent historians. In this book, he reveals and shoots down all those attacks that Simon Wiesenthal had to put up with all of his life. Simon Wiesenthal has passed away now, unfortunately. But his legacy lives on. There is a Simon Wiesenthal Center in Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, in one of our shows in the archives, we have Ephraim Zuroff from Jerusalem on the show. He has taken up Simon Wiesenthal's torch, and he is now hunting down Nazis. What kind of things did Simon Wiesenthal face during his lifetime trying to track down Nazis? Was he thwarted by governments? Were there conspiracies to keep information from him? Were there conspiracies set up to denounce him as a fraud? These are the questions that Tom Segev has answered in his book. This afternoon, The Life and Legends of Simon Wiesenthal. Our guest this afternoon, Tom Segev, right now on Brent Holland. we go. Folks, we're speaking with Tom Segev. He's in Jerusalem right now or Tel Aviv? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And we're talking about his new book, The Life and Legends of Simon Wiesenthal. Now, most of you are familiar with that name. Simon Wiesenthal, of course, is passed away now, unfortunately. He passed away in 2005. But from the time he was released from Mauthausen concentration camp, he became the world's leading Nazi hunter. But I'm going to turn it over to Tom right now because I want him to give you a brief synopsis about this man, Simon Wiesenthal, and of course his book. Tom, could you tell the folks that are listening right now, primarily university students, a little bit, just a brief synopsis of Simon Wiesenthal? Well, as you mentioned, he uh, is known as the Nazi hunter, and you mentioned Camp Mauthausen, which is one of the five concentration camps where he was held prisoner. And the amazing thing is that within 10 days after his release from that camp in 1945, in May, he was able to hand the American army uh, a list of over 100 names of Nazi criminals, 
and ask them to arrest these people. Now, the amazing thing about that is that he was able to do that after such a short time. Where does the paper come from? Where does the ink come from? Where does the information come from? Where does the peace in mind come, a peace of mind come from? So this is uh, quite amazing, and I think that he must have thought about that while he was still prisoner in the camps, and I'm guessing, I don't know that, but I'm guessing that perhaps the thought that all these terrible people will be brought to justice one day may have made it easier for him to endure what he had to endure in the camps. Wiesenthal was born in 1908 in a small town in something which is, called, which, which is now in the Ukraine called Buchach. He studied architecture and he probably expected to be a Jewish architect in Poland, but um, in 1939 the Nazis invaded Poland, World War II broke out, and Wiesenthal was sent from one camp to the other until his release in 1945, and ever since that day, to the end of his life, 60 years later, at the age of 97, he did nothing else but search for Nazis and try to bring them to justice. It is important to understand that to him it was always about justice, never revenge. He did not want these people to be shot in some dark alley. He wanted them to be brought to justice. Precisely. And folks, we're speaking with Tom Segev right now. He's live on the phone from Jerusalem. He's got a new book out called Simon Wiesenthal, The Life and Legends. He's got many books out. One of them is 1967, about the 1967 war, or the, um, I was going to say the Yom Kippur War, the Six-Day War. He's a reputable historian and author as well. He works for Haaretz, which is the leading newspaper in Jerusalem. Easy way to get his book, as always, folks, just go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. Click on the book cover, as always, will take you right to a place where you can pick it up from the comfort of your own home. Tom, I would like to tell a few of those stories. Let's start off right away with one of the most notorious people he hunted down, Adolf Eichmann. Now, there's a lot of controversy around this particular hunt that he took place in. Some people say he made no contribution to the hunt whatsoever. Other people say he was integral. Can we talk about that, sir? Yes. Uh, Eichmann was the major criminal Wiesenthal and many other people wanted to arrest because in their minds he was the major uh, he bore the major guilt for the Holocaust which was not quite accurate but he had been the senior Nazi official to speak with representatives of, of, of Jewish communities in Europe and that's why they associated him with the Holocaust they spoke of two adults, Adolf Hitler and Adolf Eichmann. So after the war, naturally, Wiesenthal wanted to get Eichmann. He took part in an abortive attempt to arrest Eichmann in 1948 in Austria, which was initiated by Israel. Three Israeli agents actually went to Austria hoping to catch Eichmann, and Wiesenthal was with them. But in those days, Israel did not really pay much attention to that. It was a very future-oriented country, and the security services of Israel had other things to do. But Wiesenthal did not let go. He continued to search for him, and as early as 1953, 
he was able to inform the Israeli government that Eichmann was living in Argentina. But it took seven more years before Israeli agents actually went to Argentina to uh, and brought Eichmann to uh, kidnap Eichmann and, and and brought him to Jerusalem to justice, where he was uh, uh, eventually executed. And interestingly enough, Wiesenthal was against the execution of Eichmann, not because he was against the death penalty in principle, but because he thought that Eichmann might still have information which may be needed in the trials of other people. So he's the first one who actually informed Israel that Eichmann lived in Argentina, only nothing happened with his letter. The letter was filed away because in those days, as I said, no one really cared for old Nazis. Everybody cared only for the future. And when Wiesenthal heard that uh, Eichmann was kidnapped in Argentina, he was quite uh, amazed and even angry because he said, I told you so seven years ago. Why did you give him seven more years of uh, freedom? You are right that um, once Eichmann was brought to justice, everybody uh, wanted the glory. And um, the Israeli security services were very angry when Wiesenthal wrote a book called I Hunted Achman, which is true. He did. He did not actually go to Argentina and he had nothing to do with the operation to bring him to Jerusalem. By the way, to me, the operation, the Mossad operation to bring Achman to Jerusalem is not such a big deal. That's what Mossad agents are trained to do. An unarmed man comes home from work and they lift him off the street and take him away. But the heroic thing really is to insist that this should be done. And uh, this was done mostly by four Holocaust survivors. Uh, Wiesenthal was one of them. And he kept uh, repeating again and again and again, go to get Achman. So that, I think, is his major contribution to this uh, case. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Folks, we're speaking with Tom Segev today, live on the phone from Jerusalem. He is very kind because right now it's 10 p.m. That's a little after 10 p.m. It's 10.15 in Jerusalem, and he's very kind to stay up late because he's just returning from a tour of North America, and uh, I'm sure he is jet lagged all over the place. We're talking about. I am still. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I do right. appreciate that's you right. taking the time out today. I actually sir. went from yes, New sir. York to San Francisco and everything in between, and everywhere I had the fantastic uh, crowds. Everybody went out of their ways to be nice to me, and everybody wanted to hear about Visentile. So I made, I think, 15 or 16 talks. In one in, in in twelve days. That's wonderful, Muzzletoff, sir, Muzzletoff. We're talking about <laughs> Simon Wiesenthal today. Tom Segev's the author, and he's our guest this afternoon. Tom Segev, of course, uh, reputed historian, author. He writes for Haaretz. Just do a Google on Tom Segev, and you're going to come up with a wealth of information. Wonderful writer, wonderful researcher. I want to quote this about Simon Wiesenthal, and this is from the book, and this is a quote from Simon Wiesenthal. And this goes back to something Tom mentioned before about his ethics, his fortitude to bring to justice, not murder or revenge. And the quote goes, it is against Jewish ethics to voice collective threats and accusations. 
Not only is it against Jewish ethics, we also may not ignore the fact that for 2,000 years, Jews have been victims of collective accusations. Could we talk about that? I thought that was very profound. Now, here's a fellow that's just come through hell. Uh, There's no word to describe a concentration camp, of course. It wouldn't do justice to the people that were incarcerated in such a place. But he's come through the pits, uh, the worst place in the world, and yet he has maintained this idealism. Can we talk about that a little bit, sir? Yes, this was to me one of the most um, impressive things about Wiesenthal, that he had this very universal, humanistic approach to the Holocaust. The extermination of the Jews to Simon Wiesenthal was first and foremost a crime against humanity, against the Jews as part of humanity, but first of all, a crime against all of humanity. He was interested in other groups, which the Nazis... uh, persecuted, such as the gypsies and the mentally ill and the gays and the Jehovah's Witnesses. He did not hesitate to compare the Holocaust with other genocides that uh, happened afterward or two in Cambodia or in Rwanda. And uh, he was very, very particular about uh, the fact that there is no such thing as collective guilt not the Germans are guilty. He went so far as saying that not even the Nazis are guilty. Everybody is guilty for his own crimes and they have to be proven in court. That's the system he believed in even before World War II. And that's kind of ironic because the system proved to be quite inadequate for crimes of that magnitude. But uh, that's the system. And he believed in that liberal system of justice and uh, never and, and he got himself in trouble with, uh, with many people uh, because of his uh, general humanistic approach he once made a speech where he said that when he sees the famous picture of the little boy in Warsaw he raises, who, who raises his hands that's an icon photograph he sees a hungry boy in Cambodia whereupon he received a very angry letter from Elie Wiesel who uh, had a very narrow, um, in those days at least, a very narrow attitude to the Holocaust and regarded it as a crime against the Jews, period. And uh, did not uh, tend to compare it with anything else. So there are ideological differences. And um, Wiesenthal, um, I think, contributed a great deal to the universal view of the Holocaust. And I think, sir, that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to bring up when you mentioned Elie Wiesel. By the way, folks, we're speaking with Tom Segev. We're talking about his new book, Simon Wiesenthal, com. Click on the book cover, as always, order this book. You will be amazed at the integrity of this man, Simon Wiesenthal. Let's talk a little bit about that Elie Wiesel, Simon Wiesenthal, both thought that they were going to win the Nobel Peace Prize and Right up until the last second, Simon Wiesenthal thought at the very worst they would share it. But that's not the way it turned out. Could you tell just a little bit, brief bit of that story, sir? I can't tell you the side of Elie Wiesel because I don't know that he believed that he would get it. But uh, Elie, uh, but, but Simon Wiesenthal definitely thought this was uh, in 
85, 40 years after the end of World War II, everybody assumed that it would be a Holocaust-related prize, and um, uh, Wiesenthal was a candidate, and many people supported him, and he believed that he would get it. He called his lawyer and said, uh, prepare your tuxedo, I'm taking you to Oslo to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. But that is not what happened, and the reason why it didn't happen was because Wiesenthal refused to take part in the worldwide campaign against Kurt Waldheim, the former Secretary General of the UN, who had lied about his past in World War II, and many years after uh, his, his uh, service at the UN, it turned out that uh, he had, in fact, been present at uh, locations where terrible war crimes had been committed, and he had lied about that. And uh, Wiesenthal refused to defend him because many, many years earlier, he had said in a letter that he knows Waldheim, and Waldheim is clean, Waldheim was not a Nazi. So when it turned out that Waldheim had lied, Wiesenthal sought to protect his own credibility. And that was, of course, a mistake and uh, caused great damage to his reputation. And uh, all of a sudden, he became a controversial figure, and the fellows in Oslo didn't really feel like being part of that controversy, and so they chose uh, Elie Wiesel. They may have chosen him anyway. We don't know that. I'm, I'm careful with this story because, as an historian, I really need to see the documents, and the Nobel documents are closed for 50 years, so yeah. it's not before 30 years that anyone will be able to say why really did the people in Oslo. But I have reason to believe that uh, if it had not been for the Waldheim affair, Simon Wiesenthal may have received the prize, perhaps together with uh, Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel told me that he would have no difficulty accepting it together with Wiesenthal. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Can you tell us the story, because I was going to bring up Kurt Waldheim, but I was going to bring it up a little bit later, but can you tell us the story of Kurt Waldheim? I just want to set it up for folks that are unaware who Kurt Waldheim was. Kurt Waldheim, folks, was the Secretary General of the United Nations when he retired, he ran to be the president or prime minister in Austria. Somebody started doing some checks on him. And as it turns out, he had indeed been in the uh, German army during the war. And yeah. in uh, contrast to what he had contrast said, to what, they had, what he had said. Now, this somebody was the World Jewish Congress. And the man who conducted that campaign for the World Jewish Congress is today head of the Office of Special Investigations at the U.S. Justice Department, uh, Eli Rosenbaum. And um, they thought, naturally, that Wiesenthal would help him, and they were terribly disappointed when he refused to do that. And I think that this is an interesting clash of cultures here between the European old Jewish man who doesn't really know how American public relations work. And what he said was, my that that he deals with um, with killers and not with liars, and nobody had been able to prove that Waldheim killed anybody. So he really got himself. I, I think that if he had a better PR advisor, 
he would advise him, face the cameras and say, Kurt Waldheim lied to the whole world. And he lied to me. What can I do? But that's not what he did. He, as I said, tried to protect his own credibility because as early as 1970, when Waldheim was about to become Secretary General of the UN, an American organization called Nebrief called Wiesner, wrote to Wiesenthal and asked him, what do you know about Waldheim? Uh, should we fight him? And he said, no, you don't have to fight him because he's not a Nazi. So uh, this is a very unfortunate um, story in the life of uh, Wiesenthal, and he just made uh, a mistake. I think it's basically a PR mistake. It's perhaps even a moral mistake, but um, we all make mistakes. And he, too. He's a human being, just as anybody else is a human being. Right. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Folks, we're speaking with Tom Segev. He's live on the phone from Jerusalem. The book is Simon Wiesenthal, his new book. Easy way to get it, as always, www.brenthollandshow.com hollandshow.com click on the book cover and that'll take you right to a place where you can order this book online or simply just run down to your local bookstore it's readily available it's a solid read as all Tom Segev books are they are meticulously researched and I have to give him full kudos for that I've only got a few more questions for you because I'm looking at the time one of those is Anne Frank and neo-Nazis. I want to talk about that for a little bit. But first, folks, I want to tell you that there's many people out there that are still denying the Holocaust ever took place. Many people say that the Anne Frank diary is a false document, that it never happened, that it was written after the war in order to get uh, sympathy for the Jewish people. I can unequivocally tell you that that isn't true. If you go to the archives at thebrentholandshow.com, there is a show there that you can download for free of somebody called Lydia Reich. She knew Anne Frank in the camps. She was in the camps with Anne Frank, and she testifies to that. So that's proof. I don't think there's any question at this point in my mind, certainly, that Anne Frank did, in fact, exist. But Simon Wiesenthal came across some neo-Nazis that were denying the existence of Anne Frank and her book. I was wondering if we could talk about the neo-Nazi movement then and now. Wiesenthal received thousands and thousands of hate letters from neo-Nazis, anti-Semites, and uh old Nazis and Holocaust deniers from all over the world, they are terrible. They are, some of them are pornographic. Some people added little pieces of soap to their letters and, and uh, they are all kept in his office and they are all marked with the letter M for Meshuggah, but uh, it wasn't funny for, for, for him at all. He was very troubled by this phenomenon of denying the Holocaust and particularly of denying the Anne Frank uh, story and uh, diary. He once uh, was present at a, or was called to a theater show where Anne's diary had been put on stage and the people in the audience started to shout, it's all a lie, it's all a lie. And what he was able to do, and this is one of the most, uh, the, the, the most important achievements of Wiesenthal, he was able to locate the policeman who had actually arrested the Frank family in Amsterdam. And when he discovered his identity, he found out that this man is still serving in the Austrian police. So this made a very big story all over the world. 
of course it was uh, good for him because the more famous he became, the more powerful he, he became and more influential and effective. But it was also very important uh, because it really uh, was very harmful to the Holocaust deniers. It was proof that, that the story is true. Unfortunately, there is no way to convince Holocaust deniers. You will give them six million proofs and they will still not believe it. So it, it's, it's a lost case, but, but in, in, as, as much as you can combat Holocaust denial, Wiesenthal definitely did uh, this in a very effective way by discovering this man. And by the way, folks, that particular policeman was fired, but then rehired afterwards, a few months after everything had cooled right. down. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Folks, we're speaking with Tom Segev. His book is Simon Wiesenthal www.brenthollandshow.com As always, just click on the book cover. We'll take you right to a place where you can order the book online. Final question for you, Tom, and I do appreciate you taking the time out. I know it's uh, moving on to 10.30 p.m. in Jerusalem. Imagine yourself standing in a podium speaking to every university student in Canada and international as well as people download the show off the internet as well. What would you say to them? I would tell them that the most important message uh, Simon Wiesenthal left us is not about catching Nazi criminals, but it's about memory. And memory for Simon Wiesenthal was uh, not merely a moral obligation to the dead, but primarily a tool in the struggle for preventing further genocides and further war crimes. Um, in other words, Holocaust memory as a tool to create a better world. And I think that there's no individual who did more than Simon Wiesenthal in that regard. I want to thank you, Tom, for coming on the show. It's just been a real pleasure to speak with you and for you to take the time out at such a late hour and being exhausted from your last tour. It's much, much Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Shalom, my friend. All the very best. Shalom. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com I sincerely want to thank Tom Segev for taking the time out and coming on our show all the way from Jerusalem and giving us... A Tom Segev book researched meticulously on the life and legends of Simon Wiesenthal. Now, you know, folks, I do a lot of shows on the Holocaust, as I've said, and I do those shows specifically to educate ourselves so it will never happen again. Although, that I, fear, although I fear that the same things that were happening in the 30s are happening right now, but this time exploding on a global scale. There are more shows on the Holocaust in the archives at www.brenthollandshow.com. I had touched on one in this interview, and that interview was with Lydia Reich. She's a Holocaust survivor, folks. She was right in the camps, and she befriended Anne Frank. She knew Anne Frank. So anybody that tells you that the Anne Frank book is a hoax, well, to put it mildly, they're full of you-know-what. She stayed alive in the camps, folks, for one reason only, and that was to bear witness 
to what was taking place. So all the Holocaust deniers out there, and people write books on the Holocaust industry, etc., etc. This really happened, folks. I'm Brent Holland. Thank you all for listening. See you next time.